Welcome to St. Mark's Cathedral Conversations, a podcast featuring members of the St. Mark's Cathedral community in Seattle, Washington. These interviews feature lives of faith and adventure, service and connection. Here's our host, Michael Pereira. It is an absolutely miserable day in Seattle today. It's been raining all day, it's cold and wet, but I'm inside Leffler House here with Lainey and Emily of the Service Corps, the Seattle Service Corps. Lainey and Emily, thank you so much for joining us today at St. Mark's Cathedral Conversations. Thank you. Just to start with, a lot of people know what the Service Corps is, and I'm sure they've seen you at convention, and they've seen you here in Leffler House, they've seen you at St. Mark's, but we may not know how this whole thing got started for you. And this is not a biography, we're not going to go all the way back, but to whatever degree you want to tell us, how did this church journey, and not this particular church journey, just in your life, how did that begin? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm Emily, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. I just graduated um, school in May, I got my master's degree in social work, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do after college, kind of your typical college story. <laughs> And I went to a nonprofit job fair at my school, just seeing what my options were. And there was somebody from the Columbus branch of the Episcopal Service Corps. And I talked to them for a long time and they just, they really sold me on the program. They said, this is a year where you can live in community, you can explore spirituality and you can do service. And the service part really drew me in because I had just gotten my master's in social work and that's a job where you need a lot of really hands-on experience. And I'm really happy to be a part um, of this work that is happening in Seattle to get some more experience in my field, but to also explore spirituality. Because I grew up in church. I grew up mostly in the Baptist Evangelical Church. And my dad ended up starting a non-denominational church when I was in middle school. Um, But like a lot of people in college, I kind of lost that part of my faith. There's some issues that I have with the evangelical tradition, and I'm really excited and happy to be here at St. Mark's exploring what the Episcopal um, spiritual practices are. Before we move to Lainey, Emily, you said part of what appealed to you was living in community, or Mm -hmm. that was how the program was presented. What exactly does living in community mean, and why is that a thing for you? So I've lived up by myself in, the, in an apartment before and that was one of the most miserable experiences <laughs> because it's just so lonely and you don't have anybody to decompress your day with or um, share meals with and just do life together. So I was drawn to the service corps because um, you get to move to a brand new city with people that you have never met before, which can sound really intimidating, but to me, it was like an opportunity to build a new family. Hmm. Um, so coming into the program, there are seven of us living together. None of us knew each other at all before the day that we arrived. Um, so we've had to start building community from day one. And so far it's gone really, really well, surprisingly. (laughs) But we're very intentional about how we live in the house together. We assign chores every week. Somebody cooks a meal. We all try to eat together as often as possible. Um, And I think we do a really good job of checking in on each other and saying, how was your day? And also, like, how are you um, including spiritual practices and God in your life? And how do you find meaning through that? Lainey, what about you? 
So I'm Lainey. I'm from Central North Carolina. Um, I went to UNC Chapel Hill and I knew upon graduation, I graduated in May of this year and I knew upon graduation, um, I wanted to go to law school eventually, but I didn't want to dive straight in. Um, I was a little bit burnt out from undergrad, which I think a lot of people can relate to. Um, and I knew law school was going to be even worse. Um, so I wanted to take some time to do something else, to do something a little more intentional, a little more hands-on. And um, also, I got a little disconnected from my own faith and spiritual journey while I was in college. I took a big step away from that for a variety of reasons. I mean, for one thing, you just don't have a lot of time when you're an undergrad. Um, trying to do so many other things and trying to improve your resume, so those kinds of things just fall to the wayside. And when I learned about this program, um, the director of the Johnson Service Corps, which is the Central North Carolina branch of the Episcopal Service Corps, um, went to the church that I've been attending since I was in late middle school, and she t mentioned it to my parents one day, and my parents mentioned it to me, and I looked it up and said, this looks really interesting. And originally I was just going to apply to the Johnson Service Corps, because I was like, oh, then I can stay in Chapel Hill and I can still be around all my friends. And then I thought about it some more, and I was like, you know... The Episcopal Service Corps as a whole sounds like a really interesting opportunity, and maybe I should look into some of the other programs. And then the one here in Seattle really caught my eye. The idea of living in a city and being able to do work in a city that is much larger than Chapel Hill, North Carolina, getting away from North Carolina since I've lived there my entire life and being able to live somewhere else and, and learn new things in a, in a new location was really appealing to me. And also the focus on community living and intentional living and spiritual formation that we all do together. So this is your first time away from home for an extended period of time, I think? Yes, other than six weeks in London, yes. What is a day in the service corps like? And I know it's obviously different, but and we can go one by one, but just an average day when you have stuff to do, what does that look like? I think it's probably easier to define the average week. Um, the average week is Monday is our spiritual practice formation day, so usually we'll start in the morning with some sort of spiritual practice, which could be like a prayer or a Bible study meditation. or meditation. Um, and then we will do some sort of check-in as a house, talk about like good things from the previous week, bad things, things we're looking forward to, etc. Then we will move to a variety of other things. We've done so many different things. Monday afternoon is just kind of, I mean, how would you? Mm -hmm. Well, we, we do, we're supposed to explore different spiritual practices and different issues that come up in the church. So one week, um, we did farming as a spiritual practice. So we volunteered at a farm um, and just helped them out. But we talked about how the earth can be really connecting. You can really connect um, who God is when you get your hands in the dirt. And a lot of us really enjoyed that. It was, mm -hmm. yeah, it was definitely a much more intentional approach to the entire thing. And it, the farm itself was, I don't remember the name of it, but it's a farm that kind of the administrators, the people who run it, are, I think, Episcopal priests. Mm -hmm. um, and it is a farm that all of the food produced there goes toward a food bank. Oh, nice. So it was sort of nonprofit volunteering that we were going there yeah. and doing. <laughs> um, but it was nice to have that connection back to spirituality, too. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was really nice to be able to do that. Um, other things that we do on Monday, we've done um, sort of like... Uh, well, today we did LGBTQ competency in the church. Mm -hmm. So we just, because churches have a history of not always being the most welcoming spaces, and it's our due diligence as 
Christian or spiritual people to make sure that everyone feels welcome. So we just talked about some of the language that we used um, and kind of how churches can improve their spaces for marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And also how to um, engage with uh, other, the work that can be done to engage with churches who are maybe not as, uh, what is the word that you Affirming. Use? Affirming. Um, and, and how we can continue to navigate those conversations. Mm-hmm. So Monday is full of activity and education. Um, and then after that, we typically have a house meeting and go to the grocery store, things like that. And then Tuesday through Friday of our week, all of us are at our service sites because um, we commit to 32 hours a week doing service in the city. So I'm at Emanuel Community Services um, down in South Lake Union, and they have a hygiene center, and they also partner with the Matt Talbot Recovery Center. Mm-hmm. So um, I have my feet in both of those, but I mostly work in the hygiene center where unsheltered people can come in, take a shower, get a hot meal, do their laundry, and I connect them with other resources in the city. Sometimes it's as simple as getting somebody a coat or a pair of gloves. Sometimes it's as complicated as getting somebody into housing. Um, And then I also support the 15 men who live in recovery there. So I'm Lainey. I work at the Mission to Seafarers alongside Ellie, the other one of our other uh, service corps members. And our typical day is going down to the container ships um, and visiting the crew members on the container ships who are largely Asian or Eastern European men, almost entirely men, very few women in this line of work. Um, and we go onto these ships and we um, bring them material resources. Uh, historically, a lot of seafarers are Catholic, so we'll bring prayer cards and rosaries and things like that, although we are by no means evangelical. Um, we're not Catholic. <laughs> um, and we also will provide them with newspapers and National Geographics, and um, we bring SIM cards for them to buy at a reduced uh, rate so that they can um, call home and talk to their families because the seafarers are, the average seafarer, the officers might have more like three to six month contracts, but the people who work in the engine will have a nine month contract and they do not go home for that entire time. Um, So, it's really important for them to be able to be in contact with their families. Um, I can't imagine what, I think it's very difficult for anybody who hasn't been in their shoes to imagine what it's like to be separated from everybody that you know for nine months with not a whole lot of chance to communicate with them. I mean, I kind of at the beginning, part of maybe my hubris or something said, oh, I'm sort of doing the same thing coming out here for 10 months to Seattle, but it's not the same thing because I get to go home. Um, for Christmas and my parents are coming out to see me so it's just a really interesting uh, and eye-opening experience to talk to people to talk about their kids because the reason they do this work is that they can make so much more money um, as a seafarer than they can in um, their home countries where the minimum wage is a lot lower Um, so to talk to them about their kids who I met a man the other day who has a three-month-old daughter he's never met and it's just a really eye-opening experience and exposes exposes to me how much privilege I grew up with. From a faith and a spiritual perspective, how has your respective work at Emmanuel Community Services and Mission of Seafarers, how has that been formative for you? How has that helped develop your faith? And I know you've only been doing it for a few months, there's still a long way to go, but 
in what way have the experiences that you've done and that you've seen pushed you forward in this journey? Well, and this is Emily. Um, and in my work at Emmanuel Community Services, it's not to sound like haughty or prideful or anything, but I kind of take when Jesus said to care for the poor and to care for the hungry, to care for the sick, to clothe the naked. Um, like that is the work that Jesus wants us to do. And I feel very strongly as somebody who believes in God that like this is what I need to be doing. And it's very, it's very challenging work, working with very, very vulnerable populations. Like my boss at Emmanuel always says, our people that we serve are on the margins of the margins. We have a very low barrier shelter. People don't even have to come in and say their name if they don't want to. And a lot of shelters in the city don't offer that. There's a lot of paperwork and red tape that you have to go through. Um, and so we really see some of Seattle's most vulnerable people. And I don't know, I feel like that's exactly where, as Christians, that's where our responsibility lies, is in um, showing these people that they have value, that they are loved, that there's people who are looking out for them. Um, even when the everyday narrative says, like, you're not worth anything, you're not valuable, um, and even like the social service systems have failed these people in so many ways that we still show up and with a smile on our face, even though some days it's really hard to say, no, you are valuable and I care about you and I want to do everything in my power to show the love of Christ to you. Um, so that's why I do what I do. But there's definitely days where it's hard to see God in the work. It's almost like seeing the absence of God a little bit, not to get too depressing, but um, I, I think it just shows how much Christians are needed to, um, to share Christ's love and that message of hope with these communities. And it's so important to support social services. Lenny, what about you? I don't have anything profound. Um, That's okay. I just kind of jumbled through that. <laughs> and that you can great. absolutely yeah. jumble through that. Yeah. I, mean, I know it's a lot. It's kind of a big question. Mm. Uh, but how do you feel that this, what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've done at Mission and Seafarers just moves you forward in whatever way, shape, or form that could be? I guess the, um, this is Lainey, the main thing that the kind of spiritual food maybe that I've been getting from my work with the Mission to Seafarers is the power of faith and hope because I talk to these men who, as I said, have not seen their wives, their children for three, four, five, eight months. Um, and it's not just that they'll have one time period where they're gone for nine months. They work contract after contract after contract. Um, and they do it because they have, they have faith that their, that their families will still be there, that their family, that, that things will still be okay and will be, still be the same when they return. And I, it's difficult for me to imagine having that kind of, um, 
kind of faith and grace around your home. Um, and to me, my, my great fear, one of my great fears is that when I come back to North Carolina, oh my gosh, everything's going to be different. Um, but they kind of live into that and they, they know that things are going to be okay. Um, and they have an enormous amount of faith and I don't, I try to have honest conversations with them. And as far as I can tell, like, I mean, maybe there are things going on behind the scenes, but I often have what I feel are real conversations and they're reasonably positive and reasonably happy and and glad to be working, um, and not terribly depressed to be so far away from the people that they love so much of the time. And, um, they really lean on each other is another thing that I've really learned that the crew becomes, I haven't, they don't talk about it in this way, but I observe a sort of brotherhood among them that, for example, if one of them wants to buy a SIM card, but they only have a hundred dollar bill, I don't carry change. Um, we just don't carry change in the backpacks, um, unfortunately. And one of the other crew members will say, oh, I have a $20 bill and just pay for the SIM card. And, uh, I'm assuming they work it out later, but in the moment they don't even think about it. They're just like, oh yeah, I have $20 here. Let me pay for your SIM card. Um, which is really wild to think about yeah. considering the fact that they're working this job because they need the money. Yeah. That was a great response. Just to, to kind of peel it back a little bit and obviously the work you're doing with your respective organizations and even the entire team is hugely important for the populations they serve and personally important for you as well. And so I wanted to see what what that source of personal importance was. This is not just a, a 95 thing that you clock in and clock out of. And that kind of leads to my next question, which is you described really, really difficult situations that the people you're serving are in. They're away from their families for what months and close to years at a time on the other side of the world. Or as you said, as you said, Emily, your your clients are on the margins of the margins. And to put yourself out there where you have to help them, that can take a lot out of you. How do you, how do you build yourself back up when you are emotionally and spiritually drained? And again, we're not going to go too deep. So whatever degree you feel comfortable responding to, but how do you come back? How do you build yourself back after seeing what you see and hearing the stories that you hear? You want me to go first? <laughs> I didn't know that you were going to have a better answer than me. Um, I would say in working at Mission to Seafarers, um, well, for one thing, it really helps that Ellie also works at Mission to Seafarers so that we can kind of decompress on the job because we have the van rides where it's just the two of us and I always have somebody to talk to about what just happened. So that's extremely helpful um, in that work because um, I think... Working, working with seafarers, the seafarer population is so invisible to America at large, like the, the details of what a seafarer's life might look like, these huge container ships, the insane gangways that they just like run up and down like mountain goats, it's crazy. Um, it just is so invisible to the American population at large, I guess maybe unless you live in a port city, maybe it's less invisible. Um, and so it's kind of difficult it would be kind of difficult for somebody who's not there to really understand it. And so just having, having Ellie to talk to is extremely helpful. And also, um, Christy Chapman, um, Reverend Christy Chapman, I don't know what to call her. She's Reverend, whatever. (laughs) 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 Reverend Christy Chapman, uh, did 
an internship or did a summer thing at the Mission to Seafarers, I think two or three years ago. Um, and she came and talked to us about that. And talking to her was also really helpful because one of the things that I sort of very briefly mentioned but didn't mention in great detail is that the seafarer um, industry is so heavily populated by men. And as a result, Mission to Seafarers and Stella Maris and these international organizations to support seafarers also incredibly dominated by men. And so for me and Ellie to have a chance to talk to another woman who had worked in the Mission to Seafarers about the role of women there and the importance of getting women involved there was really life-giving yeah. um, and really helpful. Um, so just having having people around me like that that I could talk to is extremely, like, it gives me great support. And it goes back to the whole idea of community, too. You're mm -hmm. not... This is hugely important work, but you're not doing it by yourself. Even between you and Ellie, there's a community. Between you, Ellie, and Christy Chapman, there's a slightly bigger community. And then to be here, part of the service corps, where you can share some of those struggles and where you can receive th th their encouragement and their blessing is intentional community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, of course, having those conversations with Ellie on the daily, but then coming home at the end of the day and we share our stories and we all kind of kick back and relax and, and I think it's safe to say that we can all kind of laugh about the things that maybe made us frustrated a couple hours ago. Not all the time, some things are still going to be frustrating and sad, but mm -hmm. we, we, can, we can laugh together, cry together, mm -hmm. so on. Emily, how do you decompress or how do you process? Well, I am an introvert. I am an Enneagram 4. I am an INFP. So all well, of that. Well, you've done everything. Yes. All of that is to say I'm a definitely an internal processor. I have to get into the right frame of mind for this type of work. And I spend a lot of time thinking. And that's how I decompress. So it's kind of like a two-part answer, but the first part, to get into the right frame of mind, I uh, majored in social justice as an undergrad, and we talked a lot about theories of social justice and change and have all these big dreams for the world, but the one I most identify with is that you do work so that no matter what hand you're dealt in life, because all of us um, kind of come... We don't know what family we're coming into when we come into the world as babies, and we don't know what country, we don't know what resources are going to be available to us. So it's about creating a world that no matter what your odds are, you can still live a successful, productive, happy, fulfilled life. And so um, that's kind of the frame of mind I put myself in when I'm going to work, is that these are people who were dealt pretty crappy hands in life, but... We are doing what we can to um, to give them the resources that they need to become independent and happy and see fulfillment in that way. But in the way I decompress, I take a lot of walks because they're a really good way to just um, kind of zone out, to think things through. Um, I try to stay as active as I can. Um, I've been doing yoga at St. Mark's um, on Sunday evenings and going to Compline when I can. Um, and both of those, they give me space to kind of think and to meditate and um, to remember like why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'll echo, um, I have just very recently started going to yoga as well, um, but have also been attending the Compline services and um, those are 
yes, also extremely helpful spaces in which I can think about kind of the bigger picture and the, and the things that I really might, that my soul really wants to think about that maybe I'm not, that I'm kind of repressing because other things seem more important. There's something really unique about Compline. I think we've all experienced it at least once in our, in our time of connection to St. Mark's. But the idea that it's an office that's been chanted for centuries, centuries upon centuries, and still remains so relevant to what we do in our daily lives and with what you're doing, your respective work, and then as part of being in this community, just the way it connects. I mean, that floors me. The Compline wasn't my first experience with St. Mark's, but it was definitely one of the earliest. And to come into a cathedral like that, and you know what it's like to see people just everywhere, taking up every possible space they can find. Mm-hmm. And it's not a quote special occasion. This is something that happens every Sunday. Yeah. But the place is still full of mm-hmm. people, Christians or not, finding some kind of connection to their own sense of well-being, to their own understanding of a higher power, or like you said, to, to kind of spiritually recharge after you see, after, after you do work that's so vitally important for people who the rest of the world kind of ignores. Mm-hmm. No, not kind of, very much ignores and very much leaves behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so from my perspective, having done Compli many times, it's nice to see kind of a new page being written for how it, for how it continues to serve a purpose, to kind of wind wind the day down, but also to give us comfort, to give us rest at the end of the day, at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really love Compline because it's kind of just in every way incredibly low barrier with the lights dimmed down and yeah. um, I guess other than standing for the Nicene Creed, there is, and I mean, nothing is, certainly nothing is required. That's not required, but that's kind of the one thing that everybody does. Yeah. Um, but so it's nice that I can uh, I think at least once I've gone to Compline and I've knit, because I personally find it extremely difficult to sit still for an extended period of time, um, which is part of why church has sometimes been difficult for me, because to sit relatively still, other than I guess we do some praying and standing and kneeling, <laughs> a lot of calisthenics in the Episcopal Church, yes. um, but I find it difficult to focus and, and kind of be still for an extended period of time, so to be able to be in Compline and know that there will be no judgment because there are people lying on blankets on the on the, the altar the raised <laughs> um that i know they're not going to care if i'm sitting there knitting <laughs> now i've seen people doodle uh read write whatever yeah not to go too far down that tangent but it's an amazing way it brings everybody there and says just literally be whoever you want to be. Yeah, we wear pajamas a lot. Yeah. Well, it's kind of easy. You live here. <laughs> I walk over in my slippers. It's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Emily, you had mentioned that one of the ways you process this is to remember that we don't have any control in into the family we're born into, mm-hmm. as it were. And I'm, I'm thinking part of your being, both of you, being in the service corps, is kind of joining a family that you have didn't know existed before this began. What's it like living with, I mean, you're, you're used to each other now, not just you personally, everybody out there. Mm-hmm. But what's it like living with six other complete strangers and kind of discovering their wavelengths, discovering your own wavelength in response to that? And you've talked a little bit about that, but what's the, what's the domestic side like? What's the mundane stuff like? Again, overall, it works out pretty well, much better than I think 
people would expect. Um, I think not like there were a lot of things, but we had we didn't really have a bumpy start. But there's always bumps when you're like figuring people out. Of course, yeah. Um, like I remember when I first met Lainey, <laughs> and she was in bed, and she was just like. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and I, I said, okay. I was very tired. <laughs> I had taken my parents to the airport that morning at like, I'd gotten up at six, I think. I was, I had finished moving all my stuff and I was very tired. But yes, I fully recognized day one, I did not look like a friendly person. <laughs> I slept the entire day and I guess we had a dinner at six o'clock, but yes. I didn't talk to anybody before that. Which is very uncharacteristic of me, so I felt like I spent kind of the first couple of days kind of undoing the impression that I had <laughs> unintentionally made, but I think everybody, mm-hmm. we moved past that. Mm-hmm. I think that naturally happens on day one, you know, or maybe even in week one. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. This, I'm sure at times it just seemed completely overwhelming. You're hundreds, thousands of miles away from anything recognizable and familiar, mm-hmm. and here are six other people, plus Adam, and you know, I'm sure he's working <laughs> to give you space. To let you do your own thing but there is a schedule and there's stuff to do so that must be really challenging on so many fronts so our first what was it i guess about our first week and a half here was just absolutely jam-packed of stuff and it was all really important um and really good trainings but it was so much i guess we, yeah. we started on there was dinner six o'clock on wednesday and then all day thursday all day friday I don't remember. I don't remember what we did on Saturday and Sunday. But yeah, it was busy. Sunday was the church dedication. Yeah, and then through to the next Thursday, and then our first site day on our sites was Friday, and I just remember all of us by the end of that about week and a half or so were just absolutely exhausted. Um, but it was nice to have six other people who were also exhausted. You know, like that was kind of a growing experience, and we were all kind of in some ways almost forced to put down our barriers a little bit because like you didn't have the energy to be fake with each other to be perfectly point blank honest Mm -hmm. um but we were all like oh my gosh like we come home at the end of the day and it's like you're gonna get the real me because i've got to decompress (laughs) um and and i think it definitely got us past some of the the awkwardness not that i think there was much awkwardness Mm -hmm. um but it's yeah. like when you meet new people, you don't know who they are and mm-hmm. you don't know what kind of the group norms will be. So, but we figured all that out pretty quickly because yeah. like Lainey was saying, we had to. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a trial by fire, but it was definitely worked out really well, I think, for mm-hmm. everybody. That probably does help build cohesion early on when you, you're all kind of thrust into this at the same time equally. Nobody getting any preferential treatment. And you work out the bumps and the warts right then and there. Mm-hmm. And you know you have each other's back and they have yours. So as you said, when you come home at, at the end of a really long day, to know that you've got this family here, this community here, who can help you laugh at things when that perspective is there, but mm-hmm. when it's something that you cannot laugh at, to, mm-hmm. to be there with you or to give you the space to, and to work all of that out in the early days to know, all right, I can trust these people. I can, mm-hmm. and they can trust me as well that probably helps smooth things as you go along yeah I think it really imitates early early church life like early Christian life because the believers all came together and they shared their possessions and they ate meals together and that's what we do we share what we have and we break bread together we eat together we laugh together we cry together um we just really build a very supportive community. 
overall, and I know this is only about three months old so far, what has been the biggest takeaway or the biggest lesson you've learned, either in a spiritual sense, your own spiritual formation and development, or in terms of the work that you want to do in law and social work? What, has there been anything that has really surprised you that you think, I'm going to remember this, this will come in handy at some point, spiritually or professionally? Um, so we, we talked with one of the priests from St. Mark, we talked with, oh god, who was it, I think it was Jen, yes, we talked with Jen on, uh, what is her name, priest, canon, I don't know what to call people, Reverend Jen. <laughs> Reverend Jen, I like that. We talked with Reverend Jen on one of our first days here. Um, about the process of discernment, and discernment comes from a Latin word, I think, um, that means, like, sifting. And I've always really liked that image because there's the idea that there's kind of nuggets of truth to be found. It's not just, like, walking down a road and picking the right fork and hoping you picked the right fork, and if you didn't, you'll have to backtrack or something like that. There's this idea that there are there is some, like, kind of some gold chunks in there that like they you might have to search a little bit to get them but they are there um and i thought upon coming here that i had just about finished my process of discernment which is incredibly naive looking back on it um but um one of the things i one of the things i have discovered more about myself is that so my passion uh, before coming to, what I believe to be my passion before coming here uh, is environmental law and environmental rights and protecting the earth. And that is still true, I very much want to do that, but I have further discerned, sifted through um, part of my reason of why I want to do that and um, recognized that I feel very passionately about lifting up the voices of those who are perhaps invisible or voiceless for a variety of reasons such as the seekers that I'm working with that are completely invisible um, or um, marginalized groups or, or people whose, whose, whose voices are not being heard in our justice system who um, are suffering from institutionalized racism, sexism, etc. And that it's the voicelessness is specifically like what I want to fight for. The earth can't speak for itself sort of, you could argue that some of our natural disasters and things are the earth speaking, but in general, endangered species can't speak, mm -hmm. um, ecosystems that are falling apart can't talk to the president of a country, can't talk to um, world apparatuses, um, and so it, those are the things that I want to stand up for, and I thought I would just cared about like, oh, save the cute animals or something like that, not, a little, not quite that naive, but I'm, I'm realizing more what it is that I'm really passionate about, and I, um, I want to be an amplifier. I like that. I, I want to be that's a word. I think that's a word. No, no, totally. Totally. That is great. Thank you for that. Emma? I mean, it's kind of a big question, but this year for me, it's really important to get a sense of spiritual well-being back because... I grew up with it so ingrained in my life. My family was the type of family that went to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, usually volunteered some other time during the week. So I was at church a lot. Um, and 
going through college not really having that strong base like I missed it um but I also had an image of God that I couldn't really like reconcile in my own mind because I grew up with a God who's very judgmental and um very heavy-handed um just like with sin and all of that and so I think this year so far I've realized my focus is deconstructing who God is in my mind and how I see God and reclaiming truths about God through different spiritual practices and um getting that relationship back and so far like what's been really important to me at St. Mark's is just the importance of the Eucharist because that's not something I really grew up with um we would take communion at church at most maybe four times a year so having it every single Sunday and just remembering like Christ's sacrifices for us that's been really important and also being able to experience um God and spirituality in kind of using all the senses so it's not just hearing what the bible says but you can smell the candles the flowers sometimes incense um you can taste the bread and the wine you can um hear the songs and you can sing the songs too and um there's just like a whole presence to church like it takes up your whole body and your whole being and i'm really finding value in that that's big before we go too far I want to say thank you both so much for engaging with this as much as you have I know you're coming off something else that you were doing before but this is amazing stuff to hear who you are in this community who you are in the work that you're doing and then what purpose that has here what, how that makes this community of St. Mark's richer and how it makes the places where you're serving richer too and Everything we've talked about has fell exactly on those lines. So thank you so much for engaging that. We've talked about St. Mark's a couple of times. I want to find out what was your impression of the place when you came here for the very first time? What was your reaction? Well, I grew up Baptist in a Baptist church or a non-denominational church. So I remember right after my first service here, I texted my boyfriend and was like, oh, this church is so fancy. <laughs> because we we don't have liturgy, we don't um, have a choir, yeah. no vestments, no, don't take communion like that. Um, it was just very different. Um, but I felt very welcome there too. We talked to so many people that first Sunday. Um, so many names, very overwhelming, but very, very friendly too. I actually, well, I have been attending an Episcopal church in Cary since I was 13-ish. Um, and so I'm pretty familiar, obviously, with um, kind of how the service itself goes. Um, but I was not prepared for the enormous and very square space that is the <laughs> cathedral. Um when I go into the, the chapel to the side, that's a lot more similar to what I'm familiar with. Hmm. Um, so to, to me, like, the in, the high ceiling is, like, what kind of freaks me out. I walk in there and I'm like, oh my god, it feels like 
my gut reaction is like barn, but honestly, it's more like airplane hangar. Like it's just <laughs> absolutely enormous space. And I'm like, oh, what is happening? Um, I've heard that space described in so many ways, never as an airplane hangar. But given Seattle's connection to the, the airline industry, it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. It's about time somebody made that comparison. <laughs> um, that was kind of my very first gut reaction on walking in and looking at the ceiling. But then on um, one of the first days that we were there, we had Greg. Mm-hmm. Greg gave us a tour of the church um, and talked to us about kind of why the ceiling looks the way it does, why the building is the way that it is, um, which was really interesting and enlightening. And um, talk to us. The thing that I think all of us remember really clearly from that tour is the stained glass, um, which incidentally is very similar to the Baptist church that I grew up in originally. They had the mm. same kind of colored panes of glass. Um, so that's kind of a weird throwback nostalgia thing um, that I think of whenever I'm sitting uh, in church, particularly at, at night at Compline when it's all kind of dimmed oh. down. Um, I always look up at the stained glass and kind of remember sitting in church when I was six. You've been in Seattle for about three months and you've seen... Actually, I don't know what you've seen. What has your three months in Seattle been like? I think it's been pretty great. We started off um, one of our very first weekends here. We went to Mount Rainier. We caught it in time for the weather to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of blew me away. It's a very, It's a very beautiful park to go to. Um, and in general, the city, when we first got here, it was very beautiful. Was, we had lots of sunny days, and I just love being able to see the mountains, all the green trees and mm. plants, the moss everywhere, and we could see the water. There's Lake Union really close by, um, all well-being downtown in a city, and I think it's like kind of the perfect combination. But lately, it's been a little too great. <laughs> Little, little too rainy. <laughs> You're gonna have to get used to it. Um, but yeah, same, same thing. I think um, Seattle is. I can. I think I can safely say far and away the most green and possibly one of the most beautiful cities I've ever seen. Um, particularly in terms of how green and how much plant life there is. Um, my drive to work every day. I drive down to um, kind of the south part of the bend of. Um, I guess it's the Puget Sound, um, where some of the terminals are down there. And unless it's particularly cloudy or foggy, we see Mount Rainier every day on that drive. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it's just every day we're just like, oh, there's Mount Rainier. She's doing so good. She looks so great. Um, <laughs> and then um, from our uh, windows upstairs in the uh, sort of loft living area that we have, we can look out um, in the other direction and see across the Puget Sound and see the mountains over there. Um, and we can also see the Space Needle. And now that the leaves have, well, now that the leaves have fallen off of that tree, we can see the Space Needle at night. Um, and it's just really, I'm, I grew up in the Piedmont of North Carolina. Um, so I, the mountains were near and the ocean was near, but you could not see either of them. Um, hmm. So to be so close to, I guess, technically, people have told me that the Puget Sound is not part of the Pacific, so technically I've never seen the Pacific, whatever. Um, um, but the fact that I can see saltwater, brackish water, and mountains at the same time is wild to me, because I've never been to the West Coast before. Apparently that's a thing all over the West Coast, but it is a wild concept to me. <laughs> There's something amazing about this place, uh, in that it's... 
if you start in downtown, you can get to mountains, you can get to water, you can get to hiking trails. You can get anywhere within about an hour's drive, mm -hmm. oh, give yeah. or take. Yeah, we went up to Rattlesnake Ledge, I think it's called. 45-minute drive. Absolutely beautiful mm -hmm. hike. Yeah. We took such great pictures there. <laughs> Look at the Service Corps Instagram. Excellent pictures. That's a good plug. Yeah. <laughs> Check out, follow the Service Corps on Instagram. Seattle Service Corps. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's a great way of finishing it. In a way, such a holistic way of holding the work that you're doing. That you can certainly, I mean, hopefully enjoy the city where you're living in for the next year, but then also to appreciate what makes this an incredible place to live, but also to address the real needs of a big city which has problems, problems that many other big cities have, problems that are unique here, but to do it in a way that brings together community, that brings together the reason we're all here, the this constant core of belief that unites us, but that also calls us to go out there and to help people who the rest of the world doesn't pay any attention to. And to do that as part of a community, as part of a family, means that we're never alone. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how frustrating and stressful and depressing, I imagine, uh, that you can come back to a place like this, whether it's Leffler or whether it's Compline, and just know that you're being held. Um, it's got to be... I mean, I imagine individually and personally it's a great feeling, but to do that as part of a core, as part of a community, that's, that's got to be inspiring on some levels. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Lainey and Emily, thank you so much for sharing your time. I know this has been a long day and you've got so many other things to do, but I'm sure I speak for the rest of the community when I say we so much appreciate your being here, your being a part of us, and your being a part of the work that this church sets out to do. Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> it's a delight. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Our music was performed by Michael Kleinschmidt on the Flintrop organ at St. Mark's. Michael Pereira and Andrew Himes produced the podcast, and we hope you'll visit stmarks.org. So long.